This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Know Your Bible, and we do certainly appreciate the fact that you've taken the time to watch our telecast today. Today on Know Your Bible, we want to talk about something that we deal with every day of our lives. Every day, seven days a week, we deal with the thing we're going to be talking about today. I hope that you'll continue to watch, and, 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 and I believe that you're going to be blessed by the message we have from the Word of God today. Oh, Know Your Bible, we're offering a free Bible correspondence course. And, and I want to, you to know that this is free. Frequently people call and they ask, how much is this going to cost? Absolutely nothing. Well, it will cost some of your time to call or to write us, and it will cost some of your time to study the lessons. But that's all that's involved so far as you're concerned. We're not asking for your money. And so we want this to be yours, absolutely free of charge. And in order that you might know more about the Bible course, and in order that you might know how to receive the Bible course, we'd like to pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, Write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580. Or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I'm going to be reading today from Luke the 16th chapter, beginning with verse number 10, and I'll read down through the 15th verse. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men. But God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. We deal with money every day in our lives. It takes money to buy groceries for our families. It takes money to pay our house bill, house bills, our electricity, 
to buy the gas that if you use gas in your home. It takes money to pay the rent or to pay the house payment, to pay the insurance. It takes money to buy cars and to buy the gas and the insurance for that car. You, you see, money is just a part of our lives, everyday part of our lives. And it is an impossible thing for an individual to live in the spirit and, uh, of Jesus Christ and live obediently before God without dealing with money as a spiritual issue in his or her life. Now, the bottom line of this is that God owns it all. There's not anything that exists in the world, that exists in the universe, that exists in our galaxy, that does not belong to God. It's all His. The Psalms, the 24th chapter in verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, and the world and they that dwell therein. Everything that you see around you has the name of God stamped upon it, because God is the one who made it. And it belongs to him. In Haggai, the second chapter in verse 8, the Lord said, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. In, in Ezekiel, the 18th chapter in verse 4, the Lord said that all souls are mine. So all the silver and all the gold belongs to God. Your very soul belongs to God. In Psalms, the 50th chapter, verses 10 and 11, we're told by the psalmist that the cattle upon a thousand hills belong to God. That's just a way of saying that all the cattle on all the hills of the earth belong to God. Everything belongs to God. In the book of First Chronicles, the 29th chapter, David was preparing for the building of the temple. And David, in taking up a contribution and encouraging them and motivating them to take up a contribution, for the building of the temple told the people, all that is in heaven and earth is the Lord's. You see, everything belongs to God, and that really is the bottom line. There's really no such thing as my portion, God's portion. All of it belongs to Him. But how do we get money? I think there are several ways that the Bible teaches that we get money, that is, in an honorable way. One of the ways that we get money honorably is by working for it. The Lord ordained at the very beginning of time that a man would earn his living by the sweat of his brow, Genesis 3, verse 19. So it's God's design that people work for their living. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, in verse 28, there Paul wrote, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands that which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. So we're to work for our living. We're to gain money by working. In Second Thessalonians, evidently there were those that did not believe that. They believed that the people owed them a living, that they didn't have to work for a living. So in the 10th verse of that chapter, Paul said, If a man would not work, neither should he eat. And if that were the case today, we'd have a lot of hungry people in our country because there are people who don't, really do not want to work. But another way that we gain money is by saving money. 
And the Bible teaches that we ought to save money. In Proverbs, the 21st chapter in verse 20, Solomon said, There is treasure to be desired in all in the dwelling of the wise, but the foolish squanders it. I want you to think about that verse for just a moment. Here's an individual who has been, been very careful with the possessions that he has, the treasures that he has, the all that he has in his dwelling. And so he has enough for his family, and he saved up a little bit. He has that in his dwelling. But you know what Solomon said? The foolish man will spend it just about as fast as he can get it. You're not going to be able to save the second dollar until you save the first dollar. One of the ways that the Bible teaches that we get money is by saving it, being thrifty. Another way that we get money is by investing money. There's the parable of the talents in Matthew, the 25th chapter. And the talents in that chapter are not innate ability that we have. Sometimes we say that surely is a talented individual. Well, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about money, the talents that were given to each of the three men in this parable was money. And each one of them was given to him according to his several ability. Two of the men invested their money wisely and they had a good return on their investment. One man just took what had been given to him. He had one talent, so he hid it in the ground and he was afraid of his master. He did not use it wisely. Now, that's one of the ways that we can gain money by making wise investments. I might say that the wisest investment that we will ever make is to invest our money in helping our children to become godly young men and women. But yet another way that we receive money is by giving money, by giving it. In 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter and verse 6, the Bible says, He that soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly. But on the other hand, he that soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. So if we want to reap bountifully, if we want God to bless us, then what we need to do is to give of what we have. But how does God feel about money? Well, in Luke, the 16th chapter, in the verses that I've just read to you, we have God's perspective on how money is to be used. First of all, in verse number 10, this is what we learn, that poor money managers of a little will be poor money managers of a lot. Now let me repeat that. Poor money managers of a little will be poor money managers of a lot. I remember reading the story about a young boy who applied for a job at a hardware store. And so the man that owned the store sent the young boy down into the basement of the hardware and he told him that there were there was a big barrel filled with nails and screws and bolts and nuts and the like. And he said, what I'd like for you to do is to separate them out according to what they are. Put all of the nuts of the same size together, all of the bolts of the same size together, all of the nails of the same size together. Separate them all out. It looked like an almost impossible task. At the end of the first day, it didn't seem as though the young man had made a dent in that barrel filled with all of those things. 
But he came back the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. It took him several days and finally he finished the task. And he went up to the stairs to the, where the, the hardware was conducted, where the man was, that owned the place was working. And he told him, he said, I finished the job. And, it, and the, the man that owned the hardware store will said, son, you've passed the test. He said, I've sent many people down to that basement to do just the very thing that you've done. And he said, I've had many of them to quit before the day was over, the first day was over. But he said, you've stuck with it. And you've been faithful in taking care of those little things. And now I know that I can trust you to work in my store. And I want you to start working in the store in the morning as soon as we open. Well, I think it goes back to that principle. If a person is a poor manager of a little that he has, he's going to be a poor manager of a lot. Sometimes people talk about what they would do if they had lots of money. Oh, if I just had a million dollars, I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd, I'd do this good thing, and I'd help this individual, and I'd do this, and I'd do that. L let me tell you what you would do if you had lots of money. Proportionately, you wouldn't do any more with a lot of money than you would do with the amount of money that you already have. Someone say, says, how do you know that? Because if you're not faithful and a good manager of the little that you have, and using it wisely, then you would not be a good manager if you had a lot more. That's what God says. That's God's perspective about money. And then here's another thing that God says about money. It's good for us to know that a failure to be faithful with God's money will deprive you of the true riches. That's in verse 11. And I think that verse 11 is likely one of the most powerful verses, one of the strongest verses there is in the Bible about money, that if we're not faithful with the unrighteous mammon, and mammon is money, then he asks the question, who will commit to your care or to your trust the true riches? And someone says, well, what are those true riches? Well, I can tell you what it is not. He's not talking about material things because he is contrasting the true riches with material things. Those true riches are the uh, blessings that we receive from a deep understanding of the Word of God. Such things as joy and peace and love, kindness, understanding. That, that's the fruit of the life of an individual who has a deep understanding of the Word of God. And I think that might under, uh, explain why some people are not very kind, why some people are not very nice, why some people are not very loving, is because they have been deprived of the true riches because they cannot handle properly the unrighteous mammon that has been given into their care. But here's another principle that God has about money. And this is found in verse number 12. And that is a failure to handle faithfully that which belongs to another will deprive you of owning your own. Now that's pretty powerful, isn't it? I want you to think about it. 
Here's a person and goes and rents a house from some person and they fail to take care of that house. I've had people who are in the rental business to tell me that so often they have to go in and, and just completely redo do the house after someone has lived in it because they absolutely tear it up. They destroy the carpet. They destroy the walls. They destroy the plumbing in the house. And I've even had some to tell me there have been people who would steal the lights out of the house or steal some of the appliances out of the house. You see, if you rent from somebody and you're not able to take care of something that belongs to another person, let me ask you a question. Why should God bless you so that you would have a house that you could call your own? Here's a young boy goes to his dad. He said, Dad, I need to use a car Friday night. I have a date. The well says, why don't you use the, your old truck? Oh, no, Dad, I, I need to use a car. I don't want to go in a truck. I want to use the car. And I just want to know whether or not you're going to let me use it. And so the young boy gains permission to use the car on Friday night. And when the car comes back in, the dad begins to look it over. And there's a scratch on one side of the car. There's a dented fender on the other side of the car. And the father says, well, what happened, son? Well, you know, usually they're going to say, I don't really know. I must just bumped into something. But the fact is, he did not take care of the car that belongs his dad. Now, when that young boy gets to the point that he wants his own car, he wants, another, he wants a shiny car, not a pickup truck, let me ask you a question. Why in the world should that father give that boy a new car when he can't take care of his father's car? That's the very thing the Lord is talking about, that a failure to handle faithfully that which belongs to another will deprive you of owning your own. Now here's another principle that God teaches in Luke the 16th chapter. And the principle is this, according to verse number 13, you cannot be driven by money and be committed to Jesus Christ at the same time. You cannot serve God and mammon, and mammon is money. It is impossible to serve God and to be bowed down to the God of mammon at the same time. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul said about money. For the love of money is the root of all evil. The New King James Version reads like this. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. There are so many evil things in our world. And at the tap root of those evil things, there is the love of money. It was the love of money that caused Judas to betray the Son of God for 30 pieces of silver. It was the love of money that caused the rich young ruler in Matthew the 19th chapter to turn his back upon Jesus Christ. Well, when you read about that young man, I don't believe I've ever read about a finer young man. And he was asking the Lord what he needed to do in order that he might inherit eternal life. And ultimately the Lord told him to go and sell what he had and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And the Bible says that he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Why, he was allowing the love of money to keep him from following after the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And it was the love of money in, in, uh, that caused the rich farmer in Luke the 12th chapter to overlook the needs of all of his neighbors around him who may have been in need and to lay up for himself goods for years to come. But the Lord came to him and said, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? And Jesus then said, So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I'm here to tell you that you cannot be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ and be driven by the love of money. It is an impossible thing. And yet many people are driven by the love of money. But then here's another principle that Jesus taught in verse number 14 and verse 15 as well. That, that one who puts undue emphasis on money will scoff and ridicule those who teach on it. And I think I've been preaching long enough that I, I know that's true. That if you begin to tell people that they ought to give to God liberally of their means on the first day of the week, or that they ought to share what they have with people who are in need, there are those that want to make fun of you. There are those who want to laugh at you. There are those that want to mock you. There are those who want to ridicule you. And that was what the Pharisees of Jesus' day were doing. Friends, the Bible contains some serious warnings about money. And the reason I'm teaching this lesson is not to raise contribution. Not so that you'll send us money because we do not ask for money. No, no, we're not asking you to send us money. But, but money likely is one of the most volatile things that we deal with in our lives. It can cause us to have so many problems if we do not know the proper attitude that we ought to have towards it. So I repeat again, we're not asking for money. That's not the purpose of my talking about money today. The Bible contains warnings about money. Let me read you some of those warnings. In Matthew the 6th chapter, in verse number 24, Jesus said, No man can serve two masters. Now it was Will Rogers who said that that's the verse that that taught that a man could not have two wives. Well, I don't agree with Mr. Rogers because uh, that, that, there are other verses that would, would take care of the two wives business. Th this verse is teaching you can't have two masters. For either you will hold one, despise the other, you'll love one of them, you'll hate the other one. And then Jesus said, you cannot, you cannot serve God and mammon, and mammon is money. But you think of people that you know who, who, who bow down to the God of money. They'll do almost anything to, in order that they might get some more money. You can't be around them 15 minutes without their beginning to talk about money in some way. I know I've been around people like that. Well, you're around them every time you're around them. They're talking about money in some way. They are driven by money. Well, that's one of the dangers of money that we will allow money to become our God. Now let me give you another warning from the Bible about money, and that is in 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter, and verse number 17. Charge them that are rich in this world, 
that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. In that passage, Paul calls riches uncertain, and they are uncertain. Solomon said, riches take themselves wings and they fly away. Here's an individual who may be rolling in the dole today, but a year from now they may be flat broke because, you see, riches are uncertain. You, you talk to those people who had their money invested at Anron and ask them if riches are not uncertain. I've known of people who would get their retirement and they would put their retirement with some investment firm and then later they would go back and maybe they had less than half of the money in that, in that investment firm that they put there because it was a poor in place to do your investing. Riches take themselves wings. They fly away. Riches are uncertain. Now let me read you another passage, another warning about money. In Ecclesiastes, the fifth chapter in verse 10, he that loveth money is not satisfied with money. Now, that's really not what Solomon said, but this is what he meant. He said, he that loveth silver is not satisfied with silver. Why, if a person is driven by love for money and they get $10 million or $10 billion, you know what? They're going to want $10 million or $10 billion more because when you love silver, you're not satisfied with silver. That's just another warning that comes to us out of the Bible. And then here's a warning found in 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter, verses 6 and 7. And there Paul said that we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we'll carry nothing out. I've been preaching the gospel now for, for some 45 years, and I've preached many funerals over that period of time, hundreds of them, but I'll tell you something I've never seen. I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer because you're not going to take it with you. No, a thousand times no, you're not going to take it with you. And we need to be laying up our treasures in heaven rather than laying up on earth. But I'd in encourage you to make the greatest investment of all, and that's to make an investment in your soul, to give your life to Jesus by believing on Him, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith, and by being baptized because Jesus said, He that believeth, and is baptized, shall be saved. Oh, that's the greatest treasure that you have, and that's your soul. May God help us all to serve Him out of a love for Him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And in our closing moments, may I encourage you to call or to write for the free Bible correspondence course. Also, you can send us an email. We'll be happy to send it to you. Until we meet again, may the Lord bless you, may the Lord keep you, is my prayer. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible Correspondence Course, 
right to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box, 